All right, good morning. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm really glad you're here. Uh, we're in a series where we've been getting to know the Holy Spirit, and it's been a very interesting ride, and I'm hearing from many of you that you're beginning to get a better understanding of these gifts that God has given us. And so uh, I just encourage you, if you've missed part of the series, they're online. You can go watch it on the website. Uh, if you want to print it out, they're printed out there for you to read and, and study. Um, the year was 1969. Uh, I was eight years old, 59 if you're trying to do the math. We attended First Baptist Church of Oak Cliff in Dallas. Very conservative, non-charismatic. Gifts weren't discussed, they weren't taught, they weren't experienced, the book of Revelations was never taught. It was just a very conservative, typical Southern Baptist church. There was a field next to the church that was full of weeds and rocks and cockaburs and all kinds of things that eight-year-olds would love to get into. And just across the field was the Oak Cliff Assembly of God Church. I know, it was right across the field. With curiosity and the innocence of an eight-year-old boy and my friends, we, we asked our Sunday school teacher, why are there two churches here? Why don't we just like hang out together? My Sunday school teacher was a scary looking man on a good day. <laughs> he lowered his glasses, he stared at us, he, he looked around to see if anybody could hear him. And then with sternness in his eyes, he said, boys, don't go ever over there, ever. Those people, the Holy Ghost is over there. There's stuff happening over there you don't want to see, boys. Stay away from the Assembly of God Church. Operation Ghost Stalker was implemented at that moment by me and my buddies. Two weeks later, two of my friends and I were ready to operate. Some friends covered for us. The, the church across the field started 30 minutes before we did, so we knew we had 30 minutes to get over there and get back and see whatever was going to happen. It would just so happen that our Sunday school class ended early that day. It's like clandestine that we would go discover what's going on. Now, we wore suits to church in those days. Me and my buddies, we crossed the field. We're covered in cockaburs and dirt, and we're trying to blend in at this other church. We snuck into the back of the church, and I mean, if you'd have walked up to us and said, boo, we would have screamed and ran across the field back. We didn't know what to expect. The ghost was here. So we waited and we watched. Tried to blend in, and then it happened. Absolutely nothing. Their service was just like ours. Choir, hymns, a really drab teacher that seemed to go on and on forever. Nothing interesting to us at all. We were trying to figure out how to get out of there. No evidence of this holy ghost. We were devastated. We'd expected all kinds of things to happen. We ran back through the field. We vowed never to tell anybody what we'd seen, which was nothing. But nobody knew that. We were legendary for months after that. We went across the field. Our friends, our eight-year-olds, the six-year-olds thought we were incredible. We vowed to secrecy and we were rewarded with undeserved fame. So we all come to this topic with prior experiences and lenses that shape our view. It's interesting to me how much interest there is, not in just the gifts of the Spirit, but the demonstrable gifts of the Spirit. Tongues, prophecy, and healing in particular. Some churches spend all their time focusing on those three gifts and often don't even really talk about the Holy Spirit. It's all about the gifts. I've said before that I think many people seek the demonstrable gifts to draw attention to their own spiritual maturity, to reassure themselves regarding their salvation. If I speak in tongues, surely I have the Spirit. Surely it took. But we've been discussing these importance of these events being used at the discretion of the Holy Spirit for His purposes. In fact, we've said the spiritual gifts are not a sign of maturity at all. The most immature believer can have the most advanced spiritual gift like that. The newest and most, I mean, you can come straight up out of the water and God can hit you with a huge gift. 
Many believe who believe they are very spiritually mature seek the gifts but lack evidence of the fruit. It's interesting. If you want to see spiritual maturity, it's not the gifts of the Spirit. It's not healing and prophecy. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. If you want to know if somebody is advancing in their maturity in the Spirit, look at them grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit does represent spiritual maturity. The more we become advanced in our maturity, the more we surrender, the more we become like Christ, the more spiritually mature we become. And we're warned in Scripture not to seek the gifts of the Holy Spirit for our own purposes. We can seek the gifts, but only to advance the gospel. By the way, it's not to advance your gospel. See, some people seek the gifts because they want to advance themselves. That's not why we're doing this. Today, we're going to look at several examples of prophecy and the way prophecy impacts the church. You will see that prophecy is the most dangerous gift. It can cause the most damage. It can also cause the most growth. Not surprising that the gift that God gave to encourage the believers to build us up, Satan wants to use to tear us down. And it's easier sometimes to learn through examples. When I was about 32, 33 years old, I came back to Christ. Within about a year, I started having physical symptoms. And I've talked about this before. The doctors said they thought I had ALS. I thought, okay. It rocked my world. It made me, for about six months, go into a tailspin. But I finally got to a point where I was like, okay, God, if you want me to have ALS, I'm going to be the best ALS evangelist you've ever seen. I'm all in. If that's why I'm here, that's fine. That's what we're going to do. I had three young kids at the time, a wonderful wife. I, was, I still have three young kids. Anyway, um, and, and it was a very difficult time. Well, my daughter Kylie was at a, a dance class, a ballet class at the Y. And I was sitting out there, and I was just thinking, and this woman came up that I'd never seen before. And she looked at me, and she said, I think God wants me to tell you something. And I said, what? And she says, he has great plans for you and your future. And then she just walked away. I was like, wow, that's exactly what I needed to hear. I wonder if that, so I prayed through it. I took it to God and I was like, God, is this you telling me it's gonna be okay? I'm okay either way, but I need to make sure I'm okay with you. I went back the next day, wanted to thank her for being courageous enough to speak the word to me. Nobody knew who she was. They had no idea. They'd never seen her before. And yet it looked like she worked there. The Bible says at times we entertain angels without being aware of it. And I think that happens. About six months later, uh, the symptoms went away. I don't know what happened. Praise God, I don't know. But the prophetic word is a word that is spoken that encourages, builds you up, and gives you courage, okay? A word of prophecy. Now, here's the thing. I'm gonna say this several times today because I want us to all get it. Prophecy is not fortune-telling. It's not future-telling. Prophecy is speaking forth the mind and heart of God as revealed by the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. God's Spirit reveals to you His heart and His word in a situation, and it's always uplifting, encouraging, or, or consoling. A message of encouragement from God delivered through one human vessel to another person. That's what prophecy is. Prophecy is defined in the New Testament given by the Holy Spirit. Now, prophecy in the Old Testament told the future, did all kinds of things. That's not what we're talking about. Those days are done. Prophecy is not discouragement, correction, rebuke, judgment. If somebody says they have a prophetic word for you and it's any of those things, it's not from God. The spiritual gift of the word of prophecy, unlike the Old Testament warnings and rebukes, are words of encouragement and comfort, literally putting courage into us. Paul said it this way, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. 
Why do we have this gift? To encourage one another. Why do we have this gift? To lift up one another. Prophecy is really a simple concept in the Bible. It's just like speaking in tongues. It's very simple. Much like praying in tongues or having a prayer tongue versus speaking in a foreign language. It's very simple until man decides to try to redefine it. God's already revealed to us what he desires that we know. There's no new scripture coming. When people say they have a prophetic word that is a new truth, they don't. Any prophetic word has to align with the truth God has already established. He can't contradict himself. There are people all throughout our culture who claim to have a fresh word of God, who claim to be Christians, many who lead Christian organizations, and they, they are not prophetic in the sense that the Bible would define it. Now, I believe there's no longer an office of prophet in the, in the scriptures today. I think that day has ended. There's no new revelation to come. There's no new information that God needs to give us. Many false prophets have led many astray. Muhammad, Joseph Smith, L. Ron Hubbard, Joel Osteen, Oprah Winfrey, Deepak Chopra, Ann Vascomp, Eckhart Tolle, Benny Hinn, and so many others claim to have a fresh new word from God in addition to the scriptures, and the answer is no, you don't. No. Not like, I don't think so. No, you don't. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So with yourselves, since you're eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. That's our goal. We want to use the prophetic word to encourage one another to build us up. Why? Because we're getting torn down, if you haven't noticed. We need to be encouraged. Paul continues, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. We're going to show you some examples later today where the word, the prophetic word was used to tear down. He continues, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. All things should be done decently and in order. Paul told the church at Corinth, remember the church gone wild, the crazy church. I don't want you to be ignorant about the gifts. And we understand that because just as Satan has twisted the truth about the prophetic word, it doesn't mean that we should ignore the gift. As we've said, if we're all in and the Holy Spirit wants to give us a gift, we should embrace that gift without fear or limitation. God, give me whatever you have. If you say, I need a gift, give it to me. I'm ready. I'll use it. But I'm going to use it the way you tell me to use it. But for most of us, our experience with the demonstrable gifts, prophecy, tongues, healing, have been so maligned, so misused, that we'd almost prefer to skip it. It's just too, it's too crazy. The source of this confusion, I believe, comes from people who want to use the gifts, particularly the public gifts, to promote themselves. Since the moments were first manifested, the very first time we hear about gifts, some tried to own them and use them for their own financial gain and fame. After this service, go back and read Acts chapter 8. A man named Simon saw a woman telling the having a prophetic, he becomes a believer that he turns to the disciples and says, I'll pay you for that gift. I want to own it for me. You see, I have this magic show. And if I could figure out how to do what you just did, if I could own that, then I could be famous. And they rebuke him. So spend some time looking at that passage. From the moment the gifts have showed up, people have said, hey, I could use that. I could use that to manipulate people. Do you know who I'm going to manipulate? The people that don't know the truth. The gifts, particularly the gift of prophecy, have used to separate people, destroy churches, lead people away from God, and bring fame and fortune to many shysters in the name of God. The problem with prophecy is we think prophecy is future telling or fortune telling, and it's not. We read about Old Testament prophets who warned Israel in God's name and predicted future events. And they did. But the gifts of the Holy Spirit 
had nothing to do with future telling or fortune telling. It's about encouraging. Remember, prophecy, the prophetic word, is a gift given to us by the Holy Spirit not to tell us the future. If you want to know the future, read the scriptures. It's like reading the newspaper today. The prophetic word is a message of encouragement from one believer to another. Never a rebuke, never a scolding, never a reveal of sin. Never a word that implies God is dissatisfied with you or pointing out your sins or that in any way he's anything other than your biggest cheerleader. Usually the messenger prompted by the Holy Spirit to share a a word has no idea what they're saying. I'm going to give you some examples later. Usually when you have a prophetic word that God tells you, I want you to go tell so-and-so this, you don't have any idea what it means. You have no idea what it applies to. You you may not even know the person. You may not know the situation. You're just used by God to share a message. You're not to interpret it. You're not to manipulate it. You're not to change it. You're not to try to make sense out of it. They can't help you interpret it. If somebody brings you a prophetic word, they can't help you. They can't tell you what it means. They can't tell you how to apply it. They're simply telling you the word for you to take to God and process to test, to see if it's real. Usually the messenger and the receiver have no idea what the word means when it's given to them. It usually doesn't make sense. The prophetic word, in my experience, has not been, okay, now here's what's gonna happen. God's gonna do this and this and this and this and you're gonna do this and then this is gonna happen and that's gonna happen and then this is gonna, that's not what it is. It's usually a word and you're like, what? What does that mean? You know how the disciples, every time Jesus would teach, they get that look on their face? The revealed word of God is the same way. Usually it's to be taken to God for processing. The prophetic word is rarely ever to be applied immediately. It's to be processed with God. When people add an action to it, you can pretty much dismiss it. When people come to you and say, I have a prophetic word for you and this is what you need to do now. That instruction is not, no, that comes from God after we process. It's usually a manipulation to try to get you to do something in God's name that otherwise you might not have done. When God gives you a word to say to somebody else, he's not inviting you into their situation. He's not asking you to be a problem solver. He's not asking you to be an interpreter. He's not asking you to give any advice. Don't you dare try to add or impose your views on top of God's word. That's not why it's given to you. He doesn't need you to mess it up. Just tell him exactly what you believe in your heart God wants you to tell him and then be done. Doesn't matter how they receive it. Doesn't matter. The question is, did you do what God asked you to do? When I was about, well, we'd been here 20 years ago, and I was a doctor at the hospital, and I was in the, towards the end of seminary, and I really thought God was going to call me to be a missionary, but I wasn't really sure, and then some people started talking about this bivocational thing, and should I be a pastor, and an opportunity had come up, and I was praying through it. I didn't really know what to do. I, I wasn't sure if anybody could be a bivocational pastor, because I'd never seen one before. Still haven't seen very many. But I was asking God, if I'm bivocational, does that mean I'm not in? That I'm holding back? And yet I didn't feel God asking me not to be a doctor, but I felt him pulling me towards being a pastor. So I'm praying through this. And the image that I had, God, was, God, do you want me to take the plunge? Back then there was this, well, wasn't that old then, this Nest Tea commercial where you just, you know, you just basically took the plunge. And so I was asking God, look, do you want me to dive into ministry or is this just something that's not what you want? Because the one thing I knew, the last thing you ever want to do is go into ministry if God's not with you. Okay, so I told God, I said, look, I have a friend in Texas. Don't we all? I have a friend in Texas, and I know he prays for me every day. God, he has no idea what I'm going through, so can you reveal what you want through him? Never done this before. Putting out a fleece, essentially. I forgot about it. I told Tammy about it. It went about almost six months later, I get a phone call from him. And he goes, you know what? I don't know if this makes any sense to you, but I'm supposed to tell you something that I believe is from God. 
And I said, okay, what is it? He said, finish school and get wet. Does that make any sense to you? I was like, well, I'll pray through it. Finish school and get wet. He used those words. That's how personal God is in the prophetic word. It's one of the ways you validate. Nobody knew what I had been talking about in my prayers. Nobody knew what I had been trying to understand. Do I take the plunge or not? So if you believe God has prompted you to share a prophetic word, expect it to be received with skepticism. About once a month after I preach, somebody will come up to me and say, I have a prophetic word for you. Okay, thank you. What is it? Tell me. And then sometimes that person will stand there looking for a response. And I'll say, thank you. I'll pray through that. Thank you. Uh, you, You're obedient. That's perfect. Thank you. You see, we're instructed by God to test what's given to us. If that offends people who claim to have a prophetic gift, so be it. We're to test it. If you're on the receiving end, no one ever speaks a word of prophecy over you. Let me repeat that. If you're on the receiving end, my encouragement to you is not to let anybody speak a word of prophecy over you. They don't have that authority. They've never been given that authority. They can share a word with you, one believer to another. I know everybody's whispering now. They can speak to you a word of prophecy given to them by God. But the idea of speaking over you implies they have authority over you to make happen what that word says. And in scripture, they've never been given that authority. Jesus has. Some people have lived their lives ruined because what a prophet told them. They spoke a word of truth over them that was not from God, but they believe this was a person of God and it can't be wrong. I know a lady who at the age of 13 came up in front of the church and a prophet, supposed prophet, told her her life would never amount to anything. That she'd be an absolute failure, that she would suffer here on earth like Christ, but it's okay because in heaven she'll be better and she'll get a new body and a new image. She believed he was a man of God. Ruined her life. I've had people quit their jobs because a prophet told them they were going to be doing something. Pastor Ed's going to come up and share an experience he had where a group of people, come on up, Ed, where a group of people, welcome Pastor Ed to this day. Um, We're going to tag team some of this today because he's going to share a story of a time when some people decided to pray over him and he handled it so well, I want you guys to see the example. So it's all yours. Thank you. Okay, this goes back. uh, Are you on? You're not on. Stand by. Hello? Yes. Let me look in your pockets here. Hang on. His mic's on. He's ready. Okay. It's a good thing you're a doctor. I wouldn't let you touch me here. Yeah. I'm a doctor. It's okay. Uh, So this goes back several years. Uh, Before I came here, Barbara and I were pastoring a small church in Fort Charlotte. And uh, I have to say that my motives back then, I was a very immature Christian back then. And the, the motive of, of my ministry, Barb hates when I tell the truth, but I'm going to do it. Um, the mo- my motive was not to follow God the best I could and to be obedient to him. My motive was I want to be the pastor of a big church. Okay. And I think many young pastors have the wrong motives. Okay. They don't really have a heart for God. They have a, a desire to be in the ministry somehow. It's almost a lust ministry. Well, anyway, we had this small church, and there must have been maybe 25, 30 people in the church. Um, And all of a sudden, our worship leader out of nowhere decided to uh, step down. And we had no no worship at all, except we were singing to tapes and to um, Christian videos and things like that, which was fine. Um, Until one day, I was um, in a Christian bookstore, and a woman came up. I was looking at some book there, and she came up to me, and we started talking about um, the church, and and her ministry was that she was a worship leader at this other church, that they, her and her worship team, had just stepped up. They said, we didn't didn't like the pastor, we didn't like the things he was teaching, Um, it 
was a dead church. And so we want to, we're looking for a church that's alive. We're looking for a church that believes in the Holy Spirit, that believes in the gifts of the Spirit. And I said, well, you came to the right place. We're looking for a worship leader. We're still a small church, but, you know, we believe God is, is moving. And this seemed to be perfect for us because it was a whole worship team at once that just came into the church. Four, I think there were four of them, four women. Okay. Uh, the very next Sunday, they came to church, and it was wonderful. They, they were just, they harmonized beautifully. Uh, we were just so blessed by it. The whole congregation was excited. They went up to them after the service and told them how, how much they appreciated their ministry and the giftings that they had. And um, this went on for, I'd say, several months. Um, and the church started to grow a little bit. We started, they started attracting people uh, you know, to, to the church on Sundays. And um, one Sunday, after, the, after I was finished preaching and everybody left, these four women stayed behind and said, Pastor Ed, we want to pray over you. And I said, well, that's great. That, that's what we're listening to. Have you ever had four charismatic women praying over you? I sat in a chair, and they surrounded me, and they all laid hands on me. They were all over the place laying hands on me. And they prayed, and one, one of them gave this prophecy. And the prophecy was, God is calling you to this great ministry. All right? I mean, I mean worldwide ministry. Right? So this is just what a young, immature to hear, right? He's calling you to this great worldwide ministry, and he's going to bless you, and you're going to see thousands of people come to the Lord, and you know, you'll see healing miracles, and all of this stuff. It was right out of uh, the Medellin playbook, okay? And I was soaking it all up. I was taking it in. Um, and of course, as time went on, there started to be a division in the church. These women were people unto themselves. You know what I mean? They were, they were putting a wedge between the pastor of the church and the congregation. They were trying to teach their own uh, version of a, what a spirit-filled, charismatic Christian is. And it was totally against everything that I believed. Little by little, people started to leave that church. And ultimately, we disbanded. Those people, in my mind, were sent there. You know, not everybody that comes through that door is sent by the Holy Spirit. People come into the church to put division, to, to, to put a wedge, to start a, 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 a split in the church. And that's exactly what these people did. And I ended up just giving up that church because I was so... Uh, um, enthralled by what all the wonderful things that they were saying. So, the point is here that these people were saying uh, things that were uplifting. They were saying things that were edifying. They were saying things that were encouraging. But they had the wrong spirit. They had the wrong motive. They were trying to destroy the church. So, my word, what I took from that is we need discernment. Body of Christ needs discernment, even when a prophecy comes forth that sounds legit. You need to. You need. To, it's no joke. Okay, prophecy is no joke. We're not fooling around. There is a huge difference, as Pastor Frank said, between an Old Testament prophet and the ministry of a pro prophecy in the, in the uh, New Testament. Okay, prophecy in the New Testament is always to encourage, to build up, to edify. A prophet to the nations uh, is a whole different thing. Okay, that is where you're, a prophet would call a nation to repent or uh, point out their sins or whatever it might be. It's a whole different animal. We need to be sure we know what we're doing when we're seeking prophecy and what we accept and receive into our hearts. It has to be tested by Scripture, and I learned a huge lesson from that. Not everyone who seems to be spirit-filled are filled, are filled by the right spirit. Amen. All right, thank you.
All right. Now he's going to be back up to tell some more stories in a little bit. So um, I once had somebody speak a prophetic word over me in a foreign language. Um, And during that time, I couldn't really get out of the situation. So I just prayed, God, protect me from whatever's being said. I don't understand. You know, so in many ways, just, I mean, I called this the most dangerous gift because it is. We're going to tell you stories today of what it means when it's misused and what it does when it's used correctly. In my experience, if God wants me to know something, he's already been preparing me and leading me in that direction first. When a prophetic word comes out of the blue, it's a red flag for me because it means I'm either off track or God, I mean, it always makes me wonder. There are many ways to get my attention, but usually when I hear a prophetic word, I hear it from multiple people, multiple sources over time. Prophetic word. I I told you guys last time, I received a prophetic word uh, about eight or nine years ago. And I was teaching our church about how to interpret when God gives you a word or gives you something and what to do with it. And I said, look, I've received this word. I don't know what to do with it. I know what it means. I don't know what it means. You know what I mean? I mean, I know I could define it. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. But I know it's from God. I have no doubt about that. I believe God had given a word to me. It had come through different people, different times. There was no explanation, no action expected. It's just a word. So I wrote it down. Began praying about it for three years. The term God gave me kept coming up in various manners over and over, over 30 times. It's like he didn't want me to miss it. Often in ways not even related to church, I'd be in a meeting about something else and they'd use that word and yet it was more of a church word. You say, God, what does this mean? Over time, I came to know that this word shared with me in prophecy repeated many times in conversations of all topics, seemed to keep popping up when I'd read scripture. There that word would be. Clearly in my spirit, it was coming from God, but I had no prompting to do anything. I had no prompting to act on it. I studied it. I made sure I knew what it meant. Periodically, the word would come up in conversations. I'd hear a sermon. They'd be talking about it. Hear a song on the radio. They'd be talking about it. Just kept praying. God, what am I supposed to do with this? I don't know. Three years later, God had been preparing me for three years I'd been hearing this word. It was incredible. The word given to me was remnant. I told the congregation in a sermon nine years ago, I have this word remnant and I don't know what it means. Studied it. I knew that it meant God's people who set themselves apart, people who commit to God's word no matter what happens. I knew what a remnant was. God always protected and saved a remnant. For three years, I'd studied every scripture related to that word. I'd come to understand that remnant was protected by God because they held on to the truth. They didn't always sail free, but they were guarded. They trusted God when the entire world did not. Then one day I was told to water down God's word from the pulpit in order to attract more people to church. God had me ready for that moment. It was an easy thing, I knew. I'd already been preparing. God, if somebody comes to me and they want me to back off on your truth, I'm a remnant, I'll never forget that. I'd already been prayed up. I knew if that moment ever came, I was ready. God's truth no matter what. In this case, the price was extremely high. But I walked away. And when people asked me to consider a new church and they said, what should we name it? I had no doubt what God wanted this church to be called. It was a remnant. Every time I hear or think about this church, I remember how God encouraged me for three years with a prophetic word to prepare me to be ready to launch what he was doing. Prophetic words can be powerful if they're used correctly. Let's join Paul again back at Corinth. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. If you want to ask for a gift, ask for prophecy, Paul says. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. That's the prayer language. No one understands him. He doesn't even understand it himself. He's uttering mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. You can speak in tongues. It doesn't help anybody particularly if it's your prayer language. 
But Paul's saying, look, prophecy encourages, builds up. If you're going to be something, be an encourager. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless somebody interprets so that the church may be built up. What he's saying is, look, if there's a prophetic word, it's going to build up the church. If you have a prayer language, that's just you and God, and it's going to build you up. If you have a, 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 a tongue that's a foreign language, that can be used to build up people if there's an interpreter there. But every time the prophetic word is spoken correctly, somebody is encouraged. And Paul's saying in the public setting of a worship experience, prophecy is much better than tongues. 1 Corinthians 14, 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Paul reiterates, if tongues are not interpreted, they're not beneficial at all to the congregation. So with yourselves... If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what's said? You'll be speaking into the air. He continues with a focus on others. Speaking in tongues may build you up, and that's okay, but it doesn't encourage anybody else. Paul reminds him, in the public setting, the gifts are not about you. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Every public display of the gifts should be focused on building other people up in the room, not yourself. We looked at this verse a few weeks ago. The tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Speaking in a foreign language about God can share the message if there's an interpreter. That's what happened at Pentecost. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. But a word of encouragement, a perfect word at exactly the right time, builds up the believer. He continues, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter. Will they not say that you're out of your mind? It's like walking into a nursery. A lot of noise, nothing being communicated. But he notes that prophecy, though for the believer, can still help an unbeliever. But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of the heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he'll worship God and declare that God is really among you. What he's saying is if you're prophesying inside the church, even an unbeliever can see God in that. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind, prophetic, in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul's very clear here. In the public setting, we need to make sure that we're doing things to encourage others and build the church. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silence in the church and speak to himself and to God. Your prayer language, if you have one, is between you and God. Paul said it should say that way in the worship service. He doesn't say prophecy is better, don't speak in tongues. In fact, tongues with interpretation build up the body. But what he says is keep your prayer language to yourself in the public setting. Also note that the person with the tongue has complete control of the expression. Let me make sure you're clear on this. Okay? People who have gifts of the Spirit can totally control how those gifts are expressed. When they say they can't, they're wrong. They're not seizures of the Spirit. I had to speak in a tongue because the Spirit made me. No, that's not how this works. Paul says in this passage, you can control it, it's under your control. You can decide when to use that gift and when not to. Some people act like they're just overcome by the Spirit and they're out of control and, and they just have all these things happening. Whatever happens, happens. And they're No. He talks about the structure. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. For revelation is made to one sitting there, first be silent. 
For you can prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Then Paul sums up his entire argument in one verse. He looks at the church gone wild in Corinth. He looks at the culture trying to disrupt the church. He, he hears about the church services that are beginning to look like pagan services at the temple of Aphrodite, and he sums up his entire argument with this. For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. As in all the churches of the saints. You want to know where God is? Look for peace and order. Not comfort, peace. Many criticize churches for not letting the spirit run wild during the services. They complain that in doing so, we quench the spirit. Spirit doesn't run wild. Spirit's God. He's under control. He's supernatural presence of God is palpable. Things slow down. There becomes a reverence and an awe. There's order, not chaos. A sense of peace, not confusion. If somebody's trying to stir up the crowd to build a frenzy for healings or gifts or whatever, remember, God is a God of order, not chaos. That person is trying to make a circus out of God's services in order to get you to operate in your emotions, your emotions and not your mind, or your, more importantly, your spirit. Ed just told a story about what his itchy ears wanted to hear. Satan was more than happy to send people to beat that. When I said he handled it correctly, he went to God with it and said, what is this? What does this mean? God is not a God of confusion. When you receive a prophetic word, you've confirmed in your spirit that's from God, you don't also have carte blanche. Some people say, well, look, I've heard from God, so I can do whatever I want. No, that's not how it works. You're to test the spirits. You take what you believe you've heard from God and you engage with other mature believers because if the Spirit's telling you something, it will resonate with other people. I know people that say, well, I've heard from God, so I'm going forward with this no matter what anybody tells me. That's not what Scripture says. That's why we have leadership in the church to confirm, to validate, to make sure that this is what we're hearing from God, that we're not just hearing it individually, we're hearing it collectively. Why? Because the heart is deceptive. There are times when I will go to the elders of this church and say, look, this is what I think I'm hearing from God. Can you pray with me? I don't ask them, what do you think? Doesn't matter what they think. I think I'm hearing from God. I want you to pray. Tell me if I'm hearing correctly. Tell me what God tells you. Sadly, some years ago, this church was severely damaged because this step was skipped. When Ed come up again, he's going to tell us another story. He's going to share us a story of why it's so important to seek godly counsel before an action, even if you believe you've heard from God. Every once in a while you hear somebody go, look, I heard from God, I'm going forward, nobody can talk me out of it. It's a dangerous place to be. We need to be committed to God, but we also need to submit to the authority around us. We need to be aware that God speaks to us usually in multiple people. So Ed's gonna tell a story that I think you're gonna find just, go ahead. Actually, there are two stories, I'll tell one now. Tell one, and then after I say about three things, you can tell the other one. Okay. okay. Uh, and both of them have to do with this church, what's happened in this church. Now, this church um, has been around for like 60 years. Started out as a, a Mennonite church. And by the way, there are people here right now in this service today who were here when both of these things happened. So I want to make sure I get the story right. I don't want to exaggerate anything or, or say something. But to the best of my knowledge, this is what happened. Uh, the church uh, started out as a Mennonite church. It was a Mennonite church for many, many years. When I came here, which was about 10, 11 years ago, it was still a Mennonite church. Um, but back in the day, when it first started, this church was the very first charismatic Mennonite church in all of Sarasota. There were approximately 400 people that would come to this church on a weekly basis. It was a happening place, okay? There, you couldn't find a parking space out there. And um, so it was, it was really, and, but over the years, through a series of different pastors uh, and different elders and different leaders of the church, uh, it, began to, it began to change a little bit, okay? And, and uh, 
people started to uh, leave the church, you know, and the pews were taken out, and some people got offended by that, and they left the church, and all these little things began to happen. Um, until pretty soon, it was down to maybe a couple of hundred people. It was still a good, good-sized church. Uh, but we had a, a one day, someone stood up, I'm not going to mention any names, and they had a prophetic utterance for this church. And they said, um, there is a dark cloud over Ashton, over this church. Okay, the day is coming when the parking lot is going to be completely empty. There won't be anybody here. Okay, And the reason is the Spirit of God will have left this place. The word Ichabod is going to be put over this church. Okay, It's going to be dead. This was the word that came now let me ask you, do you believe that that was a word from God to this church? Why, why not? Because it has absolutely nothing New Testament about it. Okay? It was not a word of encouragement. It was not a word of comfort. It was a rebuke to this church. That was a satanic word. Okay? And you know what happened? To the point where they really did start to leave the church. Not because of this prophetic word, but because of the seeds that were planted in someone who was assuming that they were hearing from God. Now, I don't, I understand the motivation. I understand that when people give a word of prophecy, um, they really, sometimes they really do think they're hearing from God. But listen, if it is not tested, if it is not brought to the elders and, and, and discussed and prayed over, uh, it's, it's probably not from God. So that was that's what happened here. And, and then, when I, by the time I got here, there were maybe 25, 30 people here. Um, and then, of course, that's a whole other story about how God mer helped us merge with Remnant. But that's the story of the prophet okay. that appeared here one day. God's not a God of confusion. You have to weigh what's been said. Okay, if that had happened, if somebody stood up today and said that to our congregation, I would immediately rebuke them, claimed it was not from God, and made sure particularly that new believers knew what to do with it, okay? The word of God has to be tested. It has to be validated. Um, and um, the other time you'll see something happen that can be very dangerous is when one person, particularly the lead pastor of the church, tells the congregation they've heard from God and moves forward in disagreement with the elders, with other people, with those sorts of things. If you're a lead pastor and you can't submit to the authority God's put in the church, find another church, okay? Um, and so Ed's gonna tell us a story of something that happened with a pastor who believed he'd heard from God, but push past the guardrails or godrails, I call them, that he put in place. This involves a uh, member of our church that was a very well-loved person who developed cancer. Uh, he had a family, um, a wife, children, okay, and um, was prayed over many times in this church for healing. And uh, this went on and on for quite a while. One, well, finally, he did pass away. Okay, he died. But the pastor here uh, thought that he had heard a word from God that during the memorial service, he was to raise this man from the dead. And so, and I was not here. I hope I'm getting this story right. There are people here right now, who were here for that service. Um, but anyway, it was a, it was a, a circus. All right? Many people came to this pastor and said, don't do this. Elders of the church, don't do this, okay? If you're going to do anything like that, do it in private or whatever, but don't do it in front of the whole congregation. That's not, that's not a prophetic word from God. That's, that's, um, 
um, presumption. And so, uh, but he, he did, went ahead and tried to raise this man from the dead with his wife and his children here watching this. And of course, it, it didn't happen because it wasn't God's will. That I'm, not, I'm not saying that God cannot, there's nothing that God cannot do. We're not, we're not going there. But what I am saying is that if you think that you have heard from God, you need to go to the elders of the church and make sure that there is unity. Okay, without unity, you, know, you have nothing. You're, you're presuming that God is saying something that he's really not saying. Well, of course, this man did not come back to life. Of course, he went to heaven, but I'm just saying he didn't come his body, bodily resurrection. Uh, and I could never understand it to this day, but that wife and the children actually stayed in this church. If it were me, I would have been gone a long time ago. But um, that just shows you that that uh, when you hear uh, from God, when you think you hear from God, you better test it. You better test it because if you if you don't, you're stepping into territory there that is very very dangerous, and and you can lose the whole thing. Okay, thanks. The concern of that particular story was in many ways the pastor thought it would bring glory to himself. And that's never the motive for sharing a prophetic word. Now, we told you those two stories because I want you to understand how dangerous this can be. Uh, many of you know that last year I believed that I had heard from God that we were to stay open during COVID. I just had absolute clarity on that. Um, and I went to scripture and God took me to Hebrews and I shared that with you in other sermons where God says don't stop meeting together particularly as you get towards the end times because you need to encourage one another and build one another up. But I didn't just say, hey, I've heard from God, so whatever. I went to the elders. We talked, I believe I'm hearing this. I don't know what other, I don't lead other churches. I just know that I think we're supposed to be open and we got a bunch of homeless people that are gonna depend on us. Just like right now, the Salvation Army and Res is closed. And we're the only place open again. So if you want to serve in the cafe, now's the time. But, but I just knew that God had told us. And I went, they said, well, here's the deal. I believe we're to stay open. I think you should do, you know, that, that resonates. But let's do it safely. Let's make sure we tell people who are um, uh, sick or exposed to stay home. And those who want to come, six feet, all that sort of stuff. Let's just make sure we do this responsibly. And that was the wisdom of the elders. That's that's exactly, you know, they didn't tell me, uh, I mean, I knew I'd heard from God. It was something that aligned with our church. Uh, a lot of people left the church because they said I was cocky and conceited about it. I just knew I'd heard from God. It was that simple. It wasn't confidence in myself. It was confidence in the word that I knew I'd heard that had resonated with our scripture. He'd spoken. We had confirmed it. Not me, we. And for that reason, we act on it. We didn't try to force anybody to come. We didn't dare God to give somebody COVID. We didn't do anything ridiculous. We just stayed open and taught the word. So what does this all mean for remnant? Well, our worship services are not going to be a place of confusion. It'll be a place where the gifts are expressed in a manner that honors God. The grace of tongues, the prayer language can be saved for your quiet time with God. If you feel during worship that you want to pray in your tongue, that's fine. Don't make a show out of it. It's between you and God. That's what the scriptures say. Doesn't make sense to anybody. Don't make it a distraction to the people around you. God's not deaf. Spirit can hear your language, your tongue. A public tongue will only be allowed in our service if there's an interpreter. And the interpreter gift has to be evaluated as well. Just because they say they're interpreting doesn't mean they're interpreting correctly. So if someone speaks publicly in our services in a tongue, we're going to ask if there's an interpreter present. Some believes they've been given an interpretation. We're going to ask them to share it privately with one of our elders and pastors before we allow it to be shared with the church. Why? Because Satan wants to destroy this place. If it passes that oversight, we'll share it with the congregation. I don't, the one thing I've learned as a pastor, if, if I could say the one lesson that I underestimated when I became a pastor is that Satan really wants to destroy the church. It never really dawned on me. He's going to send people here specifically to try to destroy this place. Crazy. And as the scriptures say, if there's no one to interpret, 
Keep silent in church and speak to yourself. Our pastors and elders have the spiritual gift of discernment and the discerning of spirits. We're going to talk about that in future weeks. There's a spiritual gift of discernment. Knowing something is or is not from God. I believe God gives that to elders of a church. It's one of the gifts. He gives it to everybody, but I think the elders in particular, because of their role to protect the church, have been given the gift of discernment. Protect the body. John 4. Well, first John 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We're from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Test the spirits, John says. So at Remnant, we speak of being spirit-filled with seatbelts on. Our public worship services are not going to be circuses. We're not going to try to frenzy you into an emotional response. But the Spirit of God is very welcome here. We want the gifts expressed. We want to be encouraged. We want to be built up with all the gifts, all the expressions, whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do. We'll test the spirits as directed in Scripture. And the exercise of spiritual gifts should always be done under the authority structure of the church. That's the way God designed it. Let me tell you one more story. We had a prophetess came to a church I was pastor of, and she believed that she had the gift of prophecy and could speak into everybody's life. Uh, she was scheduled to be at a conference that we were, we were sharing with another church. Uh, they had uh, endorsed her, brought her in. We were trying to validate her. It didn't go well. Let's just say that. Uh, we had warned uh, many in our church that, you know, we specifically met with her and she promised us as elders that she would not use what she claimed was her prophetic gift because we didn't agree it was from God. She wasn't on the stage more than two minutes when she started speaking prophecy over people. And our women leaders had to shut the conference down. Picture that. Um, And... um, She had met with us, and she was specifically against us, and the words she was saying were damning and damaging to the women that were listening. So we shut down the conference after 10 minutes. You can imagine how well that went. Um, We want to hear what she has to say. I mean, people were so itchy to hear a special revelation to themselves, and it was straight from the pits of hell. And, you know, looking back, we should have canceled the conference before it ever started. But people were, you know, all those sorts of things happen. You got to be careful with the prophetic word. I believe it is the most dangerous thing in the church and the primary tool used by false prophets. That's why they're called false prophets. The scriptures warn false prophets are coming through that door, not false teachers as much, not false tongue people, prophets. They will claim to have wisdom. Our service is going to be engaging, comforting, both seekers and believers, a safe place to take the next step towards Christ. Paul promises, if anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he's not recognized. In other words, if somebody comes to you and says they're a prophet of God and they don't want to submit to the authority structure God's placed in place, the scriptures tell us, If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Earnestly desire to prophesy, do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. If someone believes they have a message for our church, they simply have to share it with the elders first and pray through it with us. If it aligns with scripture, if it's a word of encouragement, if it's done in order, we'll share it with everybody. We'll be excited about it. It's a word from God. Why do we have those in place? Because our elders and pastors want to control everything. Yes, sort of. We want to ensure that false prophecy or tongue interpretations don't damage our church. We were put here to control things in some ways, to protect, to guard. 
We don't want to give Satan an opportunity to destroy all that God's doing here. We live in a culture that's not too dissimilar from Corinth. Satan's always trying to destroy remnant. All week long, I mean, it's just like, oh, there he is again. Trying again, okay. Matthew, Jesus said, beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. They look like us. They come in like us. They look spiritual. They talk spiritual. But here's the thing. False prophets never gain a foothold in a spirit-filled church of people who are truly filled with the Holy Spirit. See, it's not up to me necessarily to be able to protect everybody from false teachers. You got the Spirit in you. Spirit teaches all things. You know how to test things. That's why we come here. When that voice in you says, this is not right, it's probably not right. See, because I can only control what's taught here or what's said in our services. You may go on the internet and read total junk. You have to know the truth for yourself. And when you read something that you think is total junk, would you please send it to somebody before you post it on Facebook? And just ask, is this anything relevant in Scripture? Paul told them, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves are going to come, and they're not going to spare the flock. There will arise from among your own selves men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples. They're coming from within. If they truly have a message from God, they'll have no problem submitting that message to the structure of the church. Prophetic words are to be received with a heart of humility. And you may be asking yourself, with all these warnings, with all of it done, why are we even talking about this? Let's go back to that Baptist church you were at and not even talk about the gifts. I'm going to ask you to pursue that question with God. Why would you want the gifts of the Spirit? If they've been maligned, if they've been misused, why do we want them? What purpose could they possibly serve? I'm serious. I think in your quiet time, you should ask God, why do I want the gifts of the Spirit? Or why am I hesitant to receive a gift that you have for me? The gift should be sought because advancing the kingdom of God is more important than anything else, and we need help. That's why. The reason it's worth it to go through all this to make sure the gifts are used correctly is we're here to advance the gospel. And just because certain gifts are misused doesn't mean they can't be used correctly among a group of people. I think a major obstacle for us is to decide why we want the gifts. Is it because we want to be sure we're saved? Is it because we want to be healed? Is it because we want to use the gift to promote us? Or do we want the power of God for his kingdom? You got to know when you're all in that you're all in for the advancement of the gospel. There's only one heart that receives the full measure of the Spirit. Only one heart. It's a heart fully surrendered to God, repentant, broken, pursuing holiness for the sole purpose of leading other people to Jesus. Why do I want the gifts expressed in this church in a godly way that aligns with Scripture? Because it advances the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we have a world that desperately needs to know the truth. So I'm going to ask you to be open to the gift of prophecy, to not allow human error or influence or prior experience to be a reason to just kind of walk away from this one. Some of you may come from churches where disorder and chaos were used as evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you judged other churches because they held too much order and therefore couldn't be spirit-filled. Maybe you thought they were less spirit-filled or they quenched the spirit when actually they were following God's instructions. Others may be suppressing their gift of a word of prophecy out of fear they might be wrong. You have to trust that God will lead others to test what you tell them. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you, be open to it. Somebody needs to be encouraged, and the God of the universe is picking you to do it. That's incredible. Just share the word, that's all. They'll interpret it. They'll figure it out. If you're a disciple of Christ and you're all in, and the Holy Spirit wants to give you a gift, we should fall on our faces and say, give me all of it. 
If I need to advance the gospel, I know I can't do it, so give me all of it. Here's the promise from the prophet Ezekiel. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Walk in my statutes, be careful to obey my rules. I'll empower you, it's worth it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's pray. God, I thank you that despite all the things, all the ways your gifts can be misused, you're still looking for hearts that are truly yours. God, I pray when you look at this little church that it would be big in your eyes, that we would be the group that hold on to the truth no matter what, that we would be the group that knows how to spiritually apply the gifts, use them to their full potential, not be afraid of what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Help us, God, to take everything that we experience to Scripture, to your truth and to you, Help us, God, to be that place where people who walk in are encouraged, believers are encouraged, and seekers are drawn towards you. Help us to lift up Christ, because when Christ is lifted up, all men are drawn. God, we need your power to do anything. So help us, God, to move past the misuse of the gift and embrace your purposes for all time, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 